Open your Bibles to Romans 7. Romans 7. Can we stand in honor of God's word tonight? Many times when God's giving me a word to share, I'll come across um, just this, this moment where I think messages like this could be a life changer, could be a game breaker um, for people. And I think tonight's just one of those messages. And so I'm really praying that you grasp it with your, with your heart tonight could be the difference maker between doing church and being the church, could be the difference maker to, to freedom and some kind of torturous Christian bondage that you um, are trying to, to walk out. Uh, I believe there are some wonderful truths tonight, and I've been praying that God would just use me to speak to you. Romans 7, look at 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law... Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So why her husband is alive? She would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God now in an old way of obeying the letter of the law, but the new way of living in the Spirit. Father God, I ask and I pray that you would bring these scriptures that might initially seem kind of cloudy, that you would powerfully clarify them and bring them to light. And God, I pray over every set of eyes and every set of ears and every heart in this place. Father, open them. In the name of Jesus, open them to receive your word that will be rooted and grafted into our hearts, written upon our hearts, Father, and that tonight would be a night unlike any that we've known as Christians. Tonight would be the beginning of the rest of our lives, walking in a newness of life that we never thought would be ours, but only saw some have, walking in a freedom that we never thought that we'd have, only saw some having. Father God, we thank you for nights like tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message tonight is There's Life and Death. There's Life and Death. And I want to make an opening statement and then I want to build on it tonight. I believe that many never truly live because many never truly die. And we're going to see tonight in Scripture that there are two options. That we can be alive in Christ and dead to the law and we'll talk about what that means, or alive to the law and dead to Christ. And what I mean by alive to the law and dead to Christ, that's really the bulk of our study, and it's where we're, we're going. Notice here that the Apostle Paul uses marriage to illustrate a truth here. He talks about a person is bound to the law of marriage only as long as their spouse is alive. 
And if a person, if a spouse dies, that person is free to marry someone else. And there's one very, very important truth that you need to grasp, and we're going to be building on it. It's found in verse 1. It says, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? That the law only applies while a person is living. And Paul explains in verse 7-4 where he's going with this. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So when we became Christians, we died with Christ. When we became Christians, we died with Christ. Uh, Romans 6-4 tells us that very thing. It says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So what water baptism is, is a public declaration of what took place when you asked Jesus in your heart and you got saved. It depicts death, burial, and resurrection. When you became a Christian, you, you died with Christ. You died with him. You died with him. And the things that once had power over your life, they don't have power over your life anymore. Notice, though, that we died to the power of the law when we died with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says the law gives sin its power, or the New King James says that the, the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is the law. And what do I mean by that? In the Garden of Eden, there was one command given. You, know, you can eat from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden except for the tree that's in the midst. So what did the devil then use as leverage against Adam and Eve? The one command that God gave, the, the law that God gave. What God's law uh, given, it, it was good, but it was used as leverage. And the devil wouldn't have had any leverage if God would not have given a law that said you can eat from any of the trees except for, except for that. You, you can't eat from that tree. They had the entire garden. But all of a sudden, the focus became one tree. The devil's so good at getting you focused on one thing, he's so good at it. And I think we miss out on a garden of freedom when we're focused on one tree. I've seen it happen so so many, many times. The message says, it was sin that made death so frightening and the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. So based on what we've seen so far in Scripture, it's not consistent with Scripture that one can stay alive to sin and also be alive in Christ. It's not consistent. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2. I hope you guys came ready to dig a little bit tonight. I promise it'll be worth it. Galatians 2, look at 19. Says in Galatians 2, my wife always tells me I go too quick. Are you guys there? If you're typing this in, G-A-L-A-T-I-A-N-S. Okay. Galatians 2, 19. It says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love 
those verses. New American Commentary says, Christ's death to and for sin becomes our death to sin. The purpose of this death is that we might belong to another husband, to the one who was raised from the dead. In March, I'm going to be doing a series called Here Comes the Bride, and I'm going to be talking about the bride of Christ. I love the analogies in Scripture of our relationship with Jesus as the bride and marriage. I think they're powerful, and we'll be talking about some of those in a month. Notice, though, if the law gives sin its power and strength and we don't want to be a slave to the law or to sin, then, then we have to die to it. We got to die to it. Pastor John, easy, easier said than done. Yeah, but not impossible. In fact, with Jesus, extremely possible. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Romans 7 now, and we're going to, We're going to build on this. And the more that we dig into it, the more it's going to make sense, I promise. I'm kind of laying a foundation that we'll be able to go back to and and mention. It says in verse 5, it says, When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in an old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in a new way of living in the spirit. So we can break the power of sin, but in order to see the power of sin broken off of our life, there's got to be a death that takes place because the only thing that breaks sin and its power is, is death. It's death. It's death. So What I'm telling you is that as a Christian, it is impossible to grow in your relationship with Jesus and not die to things. There needs to be a death that's going on while you're living. In in your Christian living, there is a dying that takes place. I've heard it said this way years ago that the devil and Jesus have one thing in common, and that is that they're both trying to kill you. The devil to destroy you, God to use you. God to use you. So you must die in order to break sin's hold and power. And that verse 6 is real key tonight because you see the old versus the new. You see the old in obeying the letter of the law, and you see that there is a new living in the Spirit. Now, are, are those just church words that ministers use you know, so that books can be written and so that messages can sound really good. You know, life in the Spirit and living in the Spirit, living the Spirit-filled life and all of those things. No, it isn't. But there is a way to walk. So when you gave your heart to Jesus, his law was now written upon your heart. He wrote it upon your heart. You had a very keen sense of right and wrong when you became a Christian. Even though you didn't know the Bible like you might know it now, when you became a Christian, all of a sudden you began to live a life that coincided and flowed with with Scripture, even though you probably hadn't even read some of the verses that you were living according to. 
Why? Because God had written it upon your heart. You knew what was right, and you knew what was wrong. There was a conviction that said, you know what? I'm, I, you know, I'm, uh, I don't think I should do this. You know, why, why is it that every time I'm cussing and swearing, I get so convicted about it, I feel so, so bad about it, all of a sudden things that never bothered you, things that you wouldn't even have thought twice about, now you're getting convicted about. I just want to dispense some things. First of all, the law isn't bad because it shows us what's wrong. But Christian living is not avoiding what's wrong. Let me say that again. Christian living is not avoiding what's wrong. Because then it wouldn't be Christian living, it would be Christian trying. I'm trying to live the Christian life. I'm trying to avoid doing wrong. That's not Christian living, that's Christian trying. That's Christian effort that's put forth. I've seen people work so hard at trying to get free from stuff. They come to church, read their Bibles, and that's all good stuff. But they never died, and so they remained alive to sin. They never died. They never died. That's what's so beautiful about an altar. Um, an altar is a place where things die. I think Tommy Tenney said it best. I think it was in his book, The God Chasers. He said God still desires the smell of burning flesh. As Christians, New Testament Christians, we are to be living sacrifices. That's why it's such an abomination for someone to try to atone for sin with animals today. That's why Satanists will sacrifice animals. It's a mockery of what Jesus did, his sacrifice once and for all for the remission of sins. But Pastor John, what's the altar there for? And isn't there supposed to be a flame on the altar? Yeah, 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 yeah. The altar's there for you. Even though we're not bound to an Old Testament type of altar and you know, animal sacrifices. Isn't it amazing how we still try to come to the altar to shed something? We're trying to, we'll say, I left it at the altar. You know what, I really don't think that that's biblically accurate. What would be more biblically accurate would be, I came to the altar and I got on the altar and I got in the midst of the flames. And I am now a living sacrifice. I gotta believe that until we're a living sacrifice, we're never going to prove what is that good, what is that acceptable, and what is that perfect will of God, like Romans 12 tells us to. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of service or your reasonable act of worship, spiritual worship, I believe the NIV says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that acceptable, what is that good, what is that perfect will of God. Until you become that living sacrifice, there is nothing about God's will that's going to be proven in your life. It's going to be all your will. It's going to be Christian trying. I just can't seem to shake this thing, and you never will. It's not about trying to shake anything. I'm not trying to shed something. I'm not a snake that's molting at an altar. So how do we get free then? Well, let's just 
stated, freedom's not staying away from stuff and avoiding it, okay? Freedom is that stuff no longer having any power over you. Freedom's not staying away from stuff and avoiding it. It, it, That's not freedom. It might be your personal discipline to avoid, but you're not free. Don't go near it. Don't smell it. Don't have a cap full of it. You're surely going to be, you're not free. You're not free. You're a good avoider, but you're not free. In fact, you know, Pastor John, I can't even talk about that. That was in my past. If you can't talk about it, you're not free from it. You know, that was in my past. Pastor John, I prefer that not be brought up then. You don't want to give a testimony then, do you? Then you're really not free, are you? Can I, can I go here tonight? I know it's kind of quiet in here, but okay, I really need to know that I can go here. And, and uh, I knew that you were going to be here. I wrote this message for you just so that you would know. You got a hold of me, said, I'm going to be there. Pastor John, bring it. You won't hurt my feelings, and that's why I'm doing it. So go to Romans 7. No, nobody did that. Romans 7, go to 24 with me, and I want you to see that the struggle is real. Because guess what? At the end of the service, we're not going to cast your flesh out. You got it. You're stuck with it. And there's a very real battle. Paul had it, and so do you. And I want you to see that even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, who saw things so wondrous and so amazing, he couldn't even put it into words, couldn't even express it. Look at 724 just to show you that the apostle struggled too. He goes, oh, what a miserable person I am. Older versions, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So the struggle's real. But We're not without an answer. The answer is Jesus, and that's why Romans 8, 1 and 2 are so powerful. So many people stop at the end of chapter 7. 8, 1 and 2 are powerful. So now, so based on everything that we just read, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And you need to get this tonight. These aren't just wonderful scriptures that you put on your fridge and just can't seem to get working in your life. This is reality. This is truth for the believer in Jesus. No one's denying how weak our sinful nature is. Nobody. Nobody here in their right mind is going to say that. We all have flesh that we have to contend with, that we have have to deal with. What we are saying is that you do not have to be a slave to your sinful nature for the rest of your life. Once set free, will you still be capable of sin? Yes. Yes, of course you will. But once set free, are you still dominated by a life of sin? No. No, you're not. No, you're not. I love the analogy that Priscilla Shire's father, Pastor Tony Evans, used. It's the best analogy of this that I think I know of anywhere. He said, picture a GM plant gets shut down. He said, are there still cars out on the road that that, that factory once made? He said, yes, 
But is, is it making any new cars? No, it's not. He said, when you become a Christian, your sin factory gets shut down. Might still be some sins out there that you have to deal with, but you're not making any new ones. You're no longer a life dominated by sin anymore. Capable? Yes. Dominated? No. Sin no longer has dominion over me, the Bible says. I don't believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I believe that I was a sinner and I have been saved by grace. I think there's a difference. I'm not living a sinner's mentality anymore. I was a sinner. I'm not a sinner. And just because I have the capability of sinning and just because... I do sin does not mean that I'm a sinner. doesn't mean that I'm dominated by sin anymore. I am no longer practicing this, that, or another thing. I was. I'm not. I'm not. We got to change the way that we, that we see salvation. We have to change the way that we, that we see God. And I want to challenge some of that thinking tonight. But pastor, I can't stop thinking about alcohol or drugs or sex or money or gambling or whatever. whatever. That's because you're still alive to it all. You're still alive to it. It's in your life, I believe, because you want it there. You don't want to part with it. You want it, that's why it's there. Pastor, that's not true. Why are you so consumed with it then? Why is it the focus then? You act like you're absolutely powerless to it all. You have no strength to say no to whatever it is, the, the, the drink, the drugs, the sex, the gambling. You haven't died to sin yet. Those of you that are married, I'm sure that you once had a girlfriend that you thought you were in love with too, but you're not anymore because you died to that. It's not even an issue Man, I can remember numbers of girls from high school that I just dialed over and over and over again. Busy signal, I'd sit there and I just had to talk to her. You starved that thing. You died that thing. You died of that thing. You quit throwing logs on that fire. It's amazing how something won't consume you if it doesn't have anything to work with. Quit feeding it. Get it out of your house if it's feeding it. Give that computer to somebody if you don't need it. If you don't, if you don't, you, you, you die, you die to that thing. You starve that thing off. And all the while you're drawing closer and closer to Jesus. I'm not consumed with what it is I'm trying to, to die to. I'm gonna be consumed with Jesus. And I'm not giving that the attention, and I'm I'm not investing the money that I did, and I'm not spending the time with it. I'm dying to that thing. And I'm not going to live a life dominated by it anymore. My life doesn't revolve around this thing anymore. It revolves around Jesus. And that thing gets smaller and smaller and smaller until I'm free from it. Until I'm free from it. You see, our mentality has to change. It's got to change. Look at Colossians 3. This is going to help. Is this all right tonight? Is this making any sense? Is this sitting... Good with you? Okay. Colossians 3. I'm just making sure we got a pulse out there. I'm not all alone up here. Look at the wording of Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So what are you setting your sights on? You know, Pastor John, I'm really trying to get free from this thing. Okay, then let's not talk about it. Let's quit throwing logs on it. Why is that the topic of our conversation? Did you ever ever hear anybody talk about how they're over a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but they keep talking about them? They're not over them. Why don't you quit talking about them then? You're not over anything. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You starve that thing. You cut that thing off. You quit feeding that thing. Notice it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. That's what matters. That's what matters. If you got Jesus, you've got all that you need to kick this thing. The Message Bible says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. I love that. Act like it. I love Eugene Peterson. Act like it. That's awesome. You've died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ. If indeed our real life is hidden in Christ Jesus, then seeking and searching must be part of my walk with Christ. As I see it, you're seeking and you're searching for something. As I see it, you're pursuing something, man. What you chasing? I'm not chasing that, Pastor John. Are you kidding me? You brought it up three times just since we've been talking. Seeking and searching has got to be part of my Christian walk then. What I pursue defines me as a Christian. Defines me as a Christian. What I'm in pursuit of defines me as a Christian. Man, I'm a Christian that was once on fire for God, but now I'm caught up and I'm tangled in all of this. And all the enemy wants is your attention. All he wants is to steal your affections away from Jesus. And he's so good at it. And he's so good at convincing you that you're caught and that you're trapped and He's trying to convince you that you're dominated, but you're not. You're not because you know what it's like to be dominated by something. There's a difference in being bound to something than being set free from the devil trying to convince you that you're still bound. There's a difference. I've seen so many trying to figure out why they're struggling And they've wasted days and months and years as opposed to going hard after Christ Jesus, seeking and searching for him. I think that this is what Paul meant when he wrote Philippians 3.12. And he acknowledges that, look, I've not arrived, but here's what I do. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. 
but I press on. To possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. For Paul, it was this endless pursuit. Man, I'm going to lay hold of Jesus and find out why he laid hold of me. That's what I'm pressing towards. I've not arrived. I'm still pressing. I'm still pressing. I'm pursuing. I've not arrived. I've not attained any level of, of perfection. But I tell you what I do. I press on. For Paul, it was all about continuing. If you'll notice, when Paul would go to the, the Gentile churches, he would tell them all the time, continue. Continue. Continue in the faith. Continue. It was all about the pursuit. Let me just say it right now. What you're in pursuit of, you're in love with. What you're in pursuit of, you're in love with. And that can include anything from yourself to another person. What you are in pursuit of most, you're in love with the most. What gets the bulk of your, your, your time, your talent, and your treasure? That's what you're in love with. That's what you're in love with. What are you in pursuit of? Because we're always pressing into something. So let me ask you tonight. Are you pressing into the depths of your depression, anxiety, lust, or are you pressing into the depths of Christ? Because Isaiah 40, 28, in the New Living, it says that no one can even measure the depths of his understanding. Do you know that there are unfathomless, if that's even a word, and I think it is, unfathomless depths to Christ? There's no bottom. There's no bottom. Pastor John, I, I think I've gone about as deep as I can in Christ Jesus. Wow. Well, let me step back because you're about ready to go home. <laughs> and it's going to go to a whole new... What do older versions say is understanding is unsearchable. There's always so much more to pursue you. And let me just ask you this. How awesome is God? Do you think that when we are in eternity, that when we leave this temporary and we step into eternity, do you think that all of a sudden, 10,000 years into this thing, that God's going to get boring? Come on, Lord. I've seen that facet of you already. We've been worshiping you for thousands of years now, and it's getting old, okay? Not in your life. Not in your life. Not in your life. God is awesome. And everything about God is new. That's why even for us here on earth, his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Think about it. They rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. You think that's because he's boring? They can't help themselves. His presence is so amazing. We can't even grasp. Our bodies, the way that they are, can't even handle his presence. We have to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We have to. We can't handle it the way that we are. There's no way. No way. The Bible says that the corruptible will put on incorruption, that the mortal will put on immortality. We have to be changed to inhabit eternity with God. It's how powerful, it's how awesome he is. So let me challenge you tonight. Instead of exhausting yourself pursuing the depths of self-centered sinful pursuits to satisfy for a moment, can I suggest that you pursue the inexhaustible Savior, Jesus Christ, who satisfies for eternity? And do you realize that when you are in his presence, you are tasting the eternal when you're in his presence? You're tasting heaven.
Heaven is touching earth when you sense and you feel his presence. And you're going to tell me that in the presence of Almighty God, there are things that he cannot do. That there are things that Jesus forgot at the cross that didn't pay the price for. The struggles that you have are so huge and they're so real, you'll never be free from them. Jesus brought everything to the cross and atoned for everything except the stuff that you're struggling with and dealing with. You know it's a lie. You know it's a lie. So tonight, we're not coming to Christ for a badly needed fix or so that he will fix you. Jesus isn't some momentary high to make you feel better. He's not a repairman that patches you up. Jesus is the high, and he doesn't fix. He changes and makes new. Jesus isn't trying to make your life better. He wants to change your life, period. He's not trying to better you. He's trying to change you. He's trying to transform you. It's not that I want to get a little bit of a Jesus. If I got a little bit of a Jesus incorporated into my life, my life will be so much better. No, 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 no. That's not what Scripture says. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The old is passed away. All things are become new. Look it up. New creation. It is a prototype. The first of its kind. Never before seen. You are new. You are new in Christ. It is new life. It is transformation. It is change like you've never known. And the love of God, which is a love unlike any that we could ever possibly know on earth, gets shed abroad or poured into our hearts. And it is transformational. It's transformational. And salvation is called a well that never runs dry. You can go back to the well of salvation and you can drink again and again and again so that when you have drank so much out of your belly, will flow rivers of living water. Just like John 7, 37 and 38 says. Have you been to the well? Are you still drinking from the fountain of life? Or have you arrived somewhere in your Christian walk and you think you got some of this down and spent 5, 10, 20, 30 years and I think I got some of this. Hey, I get it. Nothing's gotten. There are no formulas out there. Restored Church doesn't have a formula. I've not just written a book that has a formula. This is the formula. There are no formulas. There's just pursuit. There's just pursuit. I don't have a formula, but I can tell you who you should be chasing. I don't have a formula, but I can tell you who you should be seeking. I don't have a formula, but I can tell you that God's not lost. You were lost. And he was always in pursuit of you. You just discovered he revealed himself to you and you responded to that pursuit. He's the lover. He's the lover coming for his bride. He's the lover coming for his bride. He's so intensely in love with you. His very name is jealous in scripture. So intensely jealous for you. Loves you so much. Jesus doesn't want to be one of many pursuits. He is the pursuit. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is the answer. He is the hope. He is the hope. Tonight, don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going on. Don't know what you could be struggling with. But you know that there are things that, man, you just got to die to it. You got to die to it.